down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right Hey, Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Story Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul Heather Dog Ninja From visionary filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan comes the chilling and mysterious thriller, Old. When a family discovers a secluded beach while on a tropical holiday, they quickly realize things are not as they seem when they start to age rapidly, reducing their lives into a single day. Own Old featuring all new bonus content now on digital 4K, Ultra HD, Blu-ray, and DVD. Hey guys, welcome to episode 276 of Hillbilly Horror Stories and Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed the Halloween episode that came out a couple of days ago. And I want to say a big thank you to every podcaster who contributed to that. There was 18 stories in all. How fun was that? It was very fun. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for doing that. Absolutely. First of all, thanks to all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to all you men, women, and service animals for everything you do for us. Absolutely. You guys are the best. We love y'all. Pray for you every day. And thank you for keeping us safe. All right, Tracy, as as usual, there's tons of stuff going on. I keep seeing these numbers talking about how mentally there's a lot of people that are just really suffering and struggling right now. The holidays are coming up. That's a time of the year where a lot of people really struggle when you get close to the holidays. And we just want to remind people that if you're having a hard time dealing with things, just reach out to somebody. Reach out to us. Reach out to the group. Uh, anybody, Any of your friends, any of your family members, please don't think that you're a burden because you're not. I was watching, we were watching Dr. Phil the other day. Mm-hmm. And he said one of the last things that people typically say or feel before committing suicide is that they feel like they're a burden on society, people, family, friends, whatever the case may be. Don't ever let yourself think that. No, because you know what? I'm sure a lot of your friends and your family think you're absolutely wonderful and would be devastated that if you didn't come to them, talk to them, you know, just please don't. Don't hold it all in. Just let it out. Call somebody. Join the group. Do whatever. We're, Jerry and I will give you our phone numbers. We will be glad to help you. We are not professionals by any means, but we are here to listen and help you any way we can. And But if you don't want to do that, we understand. You can also call the suicide hotline number at 1-800-273-8255. You can text them at 741 741 but just please reach out. You're not alone. Tracy, we're going to get into this story, which is a very cool story, to say the least. And we have an awesome interview. We're going to get into all that. But I want to say before we get into it, 
that we were lucky enough to have a feature on our local news here in mm-hmm. Lexington, WKYT, with Amber Philpot. She came out and and spent some couple of hours here at the studio and recorded some stuff, and they put together a very nice piece. Yeah, they did a really great job. Yeah, we were so excited about that. And then after that piece aired, we had Spectrum News 1, which is a Spectrum Cable. Not everybody has that, but it's what we got here. They wanted to come out today and do a, another story, and they did that, and that that should air next week, and that's going to be statewide. And we just wanted to say we are so happy and blessed that the work that we're doing, not just in the paranormal, but primarily with trying to lower the stigma of mental health and, and to make mental health uh, a priority. Uh, We we are so excited that people are taking notice of that because this is only going to help us to reach more people. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, we feel so honored to have them reach out to us. So, you know, like Jerry said, it was truly a blessing. So you guys, I don't know what we'd do without you all for sure. Absolutely. All right, Tracy, are we ready to get into the story? Yeah, and Santa Claus is coming soon. We're not going to talk about Santa Claus. I love him. This is him. a Halloween episode. We're not going to talk about Santa Claus. Oh, I'm Claus. sorry. I did just skip ahead a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Can we eat the turkey first? Yeah, y'all. Anyways. Gobble, gobble. It's Halloween, and I thought that this would be the absolute perfect time to do a story of a haunted town. Well. Well, let's do it. After we get finished with this story, we've got an awesome segment with Rodney and Draven from Paranormal Frequency. And I'm just going to tell you, absolutely knew this was going to be a home run. So we invited them out to the studio to do an in-person interview, which we have not done since we opened the studio. The only person recording here really had been... Todd? No, Todd was not in the studio. Todd was in the bedroom. (laughs) <laughs> Kristen, okay, that sounded bad. But Kristen, <laughs> Kristen has really been the only one to record in the studio in the year, well, little over year and a half it's been here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, so this was going to be fun. I knew it was going to be, and trust me, this will not disappoint. You're going to hear some cool stories, and way do you way do you meet Rodney and and Draven? So we'll leave it at that. That's right after this. So tune in. It's a perfect Halloween evening. So back to the story. We're going to talk about a very historic and a very haunted town in Tennessee called Rugby. Woo. Where the heck is that near? It's actually, uh, I'll get a little more into it, but it's in the eastern part. Uh, not really the Smoky Mountains, but like the Appalachian Mountains. Oh, but cool. Same side of the state. All right. So it's one of those towns where you would swear that you actually just stepped into like a wormhole or something and and went back in time oh wow no kidding yeah rugby is in the cumberland plateau of tennessee and it is filled with victorian england style homes from the 1880s oh that sounds so wonderful this community definitely seems out of place from where everything else around it so they really haven't changed anything then well good for them there's a lot of cool history here that may lead to the hauntings and we're going to talk about it so the town is in eastern Tennessee by the Appalachian Mountains, and it's got ornate homes, churches, eateries, and shops that are quaint and almost look like something out of a book of fairy tales. We need to go there. We do need to go there. 
It's not that that far. Oh, shoot. We need to do that. So rugby was founded in 1880 by an English author by the name of Thomas Hughes. He was most known for his 1857 novel, Tom Brown's School Days. And from my understanding, and somebody out there will correct me if I'm wrong, because I know our audience. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they, but they, they need will. to. That's right. We need to know the right stuff. My understanding is this was the very first children's book. Ever in the world? That's, that's my understanding. Aww. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Hey, that's awesome. Now, Thomas Hughes went to rugby school in Warwickshire, England. And you may be thinking, wait, he named the town after his school? Yes, but it was not really because of the school as much as it was for the headmaster, a gentleman by the name of Thomas Arnold. And Thomas Arnold was a great influence on Thomas Hughes. Yeah, so I thought Tom Arnold was married to Roseanne. That is probably a different Tom Arnold. Okay. I'm going to guess. In Hughes's book, he supported the ideals of Christian socialism, namely cooperative ownership and community businesses. So to put that in perspective, he likes the idea of a communal setup where everybody pulls together. And, you know, you've always you've seen these communes. Like mm-hmm. A lot of times, they're unfortunately, they're more like cults and stuff. But yeah. You'll see some, quote, unquote, hippie communes where it's just a bunch of people living together. And Chilling just, and getting along. Yeah, just, do, just doing their best and having mm-hmm. their little community gardens and all that I together. I think it's great. That's kind of what he really thought it could be. And he was really frustrated by the fact that the talents of many English uh, younger sons, we'll say, were pretty much wasted due to the economic recession and the medieval-style system that the country was ran under, which basically gave all of the family's inheritance to the oldest son. Okay. So if you had yeah. a, if you had two sons, three sons, or two sons and a daughter, the oldest son pretty much got everything, and the other two were just, oh, well. You, oh. Getting, you were looked at by, as a second-class citizen because you weren't the firstborn. Oh, my goodness. And he just didn't like that, and he wanted to change that. So in the 1870s, Hughes came to America— to meet one of his friends, a poet by the name of James Russell Lowell. Now, once he got here, he learned about a Boston-based program called Board of Aid to Land Ownership. And this program specialized in helping unemployed urban craftsmen relocate to rural areas. Oh, very good. This is how rugby came to be. So a bunch of them got together and they said they, they made this program work. They got them some land in Tennessee. Now, in Victorian England, many of the second sons were jobless and basically doing nothing. So Thomas Hughes said, you know, I can probably get a lot of these people Mm -hmm. that are just basically sitting there and looked at as second-class citizens to come over here and help and and be their own people. So he envisioned rugby as a colony where England's second sons could actually come and have a chance to own land be free of the social and moral dilemmas that they were kind of strapped with in late 19th century English cities. So could the older, like the brother, like help his younger brother I'm out? Sure they could. Or, I they mean, just, they could, they I'm just sure decide- they could. They just probably didn't in most cases. But- Maybe I don't know. You're going to ask me why, and I'm going to tell you I don't know. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have all the answers to well, English no, society. I know, you, I know you don't. It's just you just feel like that should be a common thing that they should do. Right. But, but I get you. It's okay. all how, how things were you were raised in. You yeah. Know? Unfortunately, there were some disastrous problems right from the start at rugby. 
Rugby was plagued with lawsuits over land titles. And this is all crazy because a gentleman by the name of Cyrus Clark, he had actually went and obtained the options on all these different pieces of land from the people who lived there. Matter of fact, it was 3,500 acres of land. But some of the natives of the area, for whatever reason, became suspicious of Clark. And they then started, a bunch of them refused to sell him the land. So it's like everybody's already moved here with this land, and they're like, ah, we've changed our mind. Oh, my gosh. What the heck? So this slowed things down, as you could imagine. And as the lawsuits kind of drug out, many of the colonists kind of gave up, and they just moved away. So here's the bigger problem. you think that would be big enough. Yeah, definitely. But Franklin Webster Smith, he's the one that picked out the site, all this land. So he found it. He said, this is where we're going to do our business, and they turned it over to, uh, to Clark to, to buy the land. Well, he completely ignored the fact that the land had very poor soil. Oh, yeah, you probably should check that out or something. Well, the reason he did this was, you talk about putting all of your eggs in one basket. The plan here was to actually make it a mountain resort, and that's what he was caught up with. He could just see stars about, we're going to make this a mountain resort, and everybody's going to come here. It's going to be a tourist attraction. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't thinking about growing food or any of that stuff because it didn't really seem like it was ever going to be a problem. Well, it was a problem because Rugby's main resort hotel, the Tabard, was forced to close in 1881 due to a typhoid outbreak. Oh, that is not good. In 1884, it completely burned down. And not only did this put a halt to Rugby's, I guess, flourishing economy, because it was actually doing very well up to that point, but it damaged the Board of Aid's credit. So that was not going to be good because that's how they got the stuff in the first place. Mm-hmm. By the late 1887, most of the original colonists had either died or moved away. Probably, You mean of the typhoid, probably? Uh, everything. Just everything? Yeah, I think there was only seven people who actually died of typhoid. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't okay. put that in here, but I think that's what I read. Well, I mean, that's terrible, still, but that's still pretty good for being a terrible disease. So a few people stayed into the 20th century, and the village kept a very small population. William Walton, he maintained the Thomas Hughes Library, the Christ Church Episcopal, and the Kingstone Lyle until the mid-20th century. Another family maintained the Uffington House during that same time period. In the 1940s, logging practices were decimating the surrounding area. Most of these, everything around there was kind of like virgin forest. Oh. So... It's like it was just pristine. But the logging companies were like, nope, we're coming in. So they come in, they start cutting down all the trees. Well, at the same time, there were conservation efforts started at Rugby to try to maintain everything. Mm -hmm. The efforts were publicized by national outlets, and eventually it would get some federal support, mainly because of uh, the Secretary of State, Cordell Hull, at the time. He really pushed to get some of this stuff done. The logging companies wanted to buy rugby, and they actually offered a decent little chunk of change, but the state refused to sell it. So the logging companies cut everything up until the boundaries of So they were rugby. ball-headed? <laughs> Stop. What? <laughs> they... So they cut down every tree and every forest. So what was what rugby was completely surrounded by forest, by the time the logging companies were through... There was no forest or anything at all except in the acreage that, oh, that belonged to That is so rugby. weird. 
Can you imagine? Yeah. I wonder how long it took them to do that. Well, I was going to say something bad. Anyways, Uh, (laughs) well, I mean, it would probably take a while. Yeah. In 1966, Historic Rugby was founded by some preservationists. It was a nonprofit group, and it was dedicated to restoring and maintaining the community's surviving historic structures. There was a restaurant there named the Harrell Road Cafe, but it unfortunately burned down in September of 2020. Oh, darn. Just last year. It wasn't the original building, though. It was like this building was actually built in the 1980s, but it was named after Mm -hmm. an original restaurant from that time period. Oh, that's a shame. So today, rugby has 75 to 80 residents, and tourism is its biggest draw. That's it? 75 to 80? 80? Live there. <laughs> what the heck? Now, from us. We could visit them all in one day. We could. We could go say hi to each one of them. We could. From a paranormal standpoint, rugby is listed as one of the most haunted towns in all of America. You That house, that sounds so crazy, doesn't it? What? I don't know. I mean, just that there's not have been hardly any people there, but that's the most haunted. Well, but Bodie's haunted, and there's like nobody lives there. Well, that's true. Several different buildings are haunted, one of which is the Kingston Lyle Inn. And we're going to bounce around a little bit on some of these. Some, we'll talk about some, and then we may come back to it, okay? Mm-hmm. This was the house that Thomas Hughes' mother lived and died in. Oh. There's a spirit there known as the Snoring Ghost. Ninja. <laughs> really? <laughs> this ghost likes to pull the sheets out from underneath guests as they're asleep. That's a little different. Uh, yeah. What's he trying to, like, have some major skills there? It would be like uh, like the tablecloth trick. Yeah. Oh, and the name of the snoring ghost? This is because several guests have heard inexplicable snoring from disembodied whoever. Oh, wow. There's nobody in the room, but they're hearing snoring. Now, see how annoying would that be? <laughs> it's bad enough you have to lay by somebody that snores, and now there ain't nobody. So, we mentioned the library earlier. All of the books that are in that library right now were originally brought over from England, and they're still there. Really? Yep. They say that the curator of the library, William Walton, we talked about mm-hmm. him a second ago, he still oversees the collections of books. Oh, my goodness. How fun would it to be just to go look through those books? Oh, I mean, I'm sure it'd be okay. I'm not a book guy, but yeah. What do you mean you're not a book guy? I'm like looking at a thousand of them right over there on That's the wall. That's out of necessity. Oh. <laughs> I wouldn't touch a single one of them if I didn't have to. There's movies out there and TV. Why wouldn't I want to just do that? Well, because you can't let go of books. Books are important. I didn't say you let go of them. I just said I don't have a need for them. I like books on tape. AKA podcast. Anyways. <laughs> there's also this is this is my favorite part. There's also a dog that tries to get out of the library at nighttime. People will hear the dog barking, they hear the dog scratching on the door, and when they call police or whoever to come, they open the door and there's never anything in there. That poor dog probably thinks he can't get out ever. <laughs> you know, I mean how how bad would that suck for that dog? Well, maybe I don't need to come out when they open the door. I mean, I don't know. The most chilling stories here come from the Newberry house. One of the stories here we'll get into a little bit more in detail, but there's not a ton of details. But a man and his wife were were both murdered here and supposedly still roam in the upstairs hallway. Oh. 
I see them both murdered, but actually it was more of a murder-suicide. That's just a little sampling of what we got. So, But my thing is, why would if it was a murder-suicide, why would you want to keep hanging around that place? I mean, why wouldn't you want to go somewhere else? But as we've discussed several times, a lot of hauntings, and I've heard Barry Taft talking about this several times, a lot of hauntings, if someone is killed and it's a like a sudden unexpected thing, they may not even realize that they're dead. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. So in a case of a murder-suicide, at least on the, the murdered part, she may not be able to leave or may not realize she can leave. Yeah, the but suicide the other guy, part, guy, yeah. I mean, that was still a tragic event where they he might feel trapped there. So it could be any number of things. With most hauntings, there is tragedy. And rugby is absolutely no different. The idea of rugby was a great one. We can agree. Everybody coming together yeah. and, and helping each other out. In awesome. England, believe it or not, at this time, it was disgraceful if you had to work with your hands. That okay. was that was that was work for peasants. Well, I was gonna say, how else are you supposed to get work done? I mean, you can be bookkeepers, you can do attorney, you know, where I'm just saying people construction workers and plumbers yeah. and stuff like that, that was the work that the peasants did. Mm. That's just the way that it was looked at. In rugby, you were allowed to work hard without being frowned upon during the day. You didn't have to feel guilty. They wanted you to work your ass off during the day. But at nighttime, you were to be cultured. They literally were combining the two. Mm -hmm. It's okay to work hard, but you need to be civil and cultured as well. All that was great, but they had planned on that area as being a part of the railroad. That's what they thought when they bought this land is the railroad was going to be coming through there. Mm -hmm. Well, that didn't happen. That -hmm. was the first problem with the city. Then they had terrible weather. The very first year that they were there, it was the worst winter in 25 years. Oh, my gosh. They are not off to a good start. That following summer, they had a a drought that ruined all of their crops. Oh, that sucks. And then, of course, we covered the typhoid Mm -hmm. epidemic that then hit, that did kill seven people. So over the years, there's been persistent rumors that several of the settlers from the 1800s have stuck around. Ooh. Scurry. We're going to start with a very active spirit that appears regularly in room number two at the Newbury house. We told you that was the scariest. Yep. Now, this spirit typically only shows itself to women. And there's a reason why we think that may be the case. Newbury House was actually one of Rugby's original hotels. Now, the spirit here is thought to be a gentleman by the name of Charles O'Field. He was an engineer during the early days of Rugby, and he was kind of like a spy for the most part. He was sent there from England to kind of keep an eye on stuff so they could kind of manage these people from across the ocean. And he liked it so much, he decided to stay there. And we're going to get into a little more of that here in a little bit. But for as far as his spirit, two different women have experienced a man in dark clothing bending over their bed while they were sleeping. They wake up after being startled to find the apparition staring at them. 
They also report a, a feeling of sadness after they have fully waken up and realized what happened. Maybe he just needs a hug. A big old sloppy kiss. Maybe so. You never know. In both of these cases... The Ghosts women, need love, too. In both of these cases, women were alone. So it's never, there have never been any sense of this spirit being around when there's a couple in a room. Mm-hmm. Ofield, like I said, he was sent here by the British to more or less be a spy. And he had a secret code to telegraph or send by mail to the British to kind of let them know what was going on. But like I said, he had no intention on staying. He was just going to do his job and then leave and go back to England. But he fell in love with the place. He decided to stay. So he started writing letters to his wife and telling her about the place and their struggles and that he really thought that he could be of benefit and could help them out. He then tried to convince her to come to America and join him, but before she could come, he was stricken with a kidney failure and he died in room number two. Well, that's terrible. He was calling for his wife in his very last days. He was kind of out of it and he kept calling her name. His son was eventually sent to join him, but... He arrived just long enough to spend the last week of his father's life. Well, I mean, I'm glad he got some time with him before he passed. Now, many think that because his wife never made it there, that he's missing his wife, and he enjoys it when single women are staying in the room, because maybe it gives him the feeling of like his wife is Yeah, I can see that. The Newberry House has a lot of activity, and we'll touch on a little more later But some people will say that the Roslyn Mansion may be the most haunted house in the little stretch of rugby. It's most known for its spirit, known as Sophie Tyson. The Tyson family lived in this house in the 1880s, and Sophie was the daughter in the family. Sophie is usually seen as a pale, transparent woman at the foot of the steps, and she likes to walk up the stairs and then just kind of stop. Huh. It's kind of weird. She's often seen crying, and her footsteps are often heard before she is physically seen. Mm-hmm. You can hear her footsteps, and then all of a sudden, then people then see like the apparition. Caesar. Yeah. Sometimes she's seen holding a baby. But not every time? Not every time. There's also been sightings of her standing in one of the long windows. It's one of those windows that go from, from the floor, floor to the ceiling. ceiling. Mm-hmm. When the person with the sighting describes her, it perfectly matches the picture that they have at the home. Wow. No one is sure why she is so heartbroken. They, mm. don't, they don't know why she's crying. and don't, They don't really know why she's carrying a baby. There's no story oh, that the, goes along go. with that. Mm-hmm. Now, some think that the town of Rugby is so haunted because there is so much of the original furniture and fabric from the original settlement there. Howard Hafnan... He tells a story about an experience he had at Newberry House. He and a friend were in the kitchen. They were the only ones in there. They suddenly heard children laughing at the front of the home. They both heard it at the exact same time, but there was nobody there. They went to the front and checked. There was no children. They asked around town, and they found out that this was a common occurrence. Hearing children, especially Mm -hmm. young uh, girls, Giggling and laughing in front of, of Newberry House is a very common occurrence. Oh, well, that's nice. 
There's a cemetery where several of the original town's members are buried, including Charles Oldfield. People like to go there and, and put pennies on his headstone to pay respect. Why pennies, I wonder? I don't know. Is that some kind of... I don't know. But hmm. if you go, I've seen several pictures of his headstone and there was always pennies on it. Oh, no kidding. Yep. Well, I mean, they're, I guess you could fit everybody in that cemetery since there wasn't hardly anybody in the town. Other encounters include the phantom sounds of a horse-drawn carriage on a road that's since been overgrown and taken over by thick vegetation. Now, the story on that is we we talked about, obviously, Sophie. Mm-hmm. Well, she had a brother. I think his name was Jesse. But she had a she had a brother, and he used to take his horse and carriage down that path all the time. And that's the same path where people still hear a horse and carriage. Oh. No tragedy that I know of dealing yeah. with him, but that's just where he used mm-hmm. to. 17 of the original structures of the original rugby still remain. That's a lot. Most of these have some type of story attached about hauntings. Believe it or not, there is still land available in that area if you wanted to buy it and build. But they've got very strict guidelines. You have to build your house in a Victorian style. Oh, so, I mean, there are people living in those houses and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's cool that they're having them build the house like that. You don't want to change the town. Right. We briefly mentioned a husband who killed his wife at the Newbury house, and then he killed himself. The story, basically, it's not a whole lot to it, but the story is that he felt like that she was cheating on him. Mm -hmm. He felt like it, but he didn't know for sure. Technically, I guess. So he thought he knew. He killed her, and then he found out that he was wrong. And was so devastated that he took his own life. Idiot. Voices are heard from vacant rooms there. Extreme cold spots are felt all over Newberry House. There's another real quick building to discuss. It's called Twin Oaks. And it was constructed in 1884 for Boriah and Mary Ridley. Now the couple employed a woman by the name of Matilda. Now Matilda was looked at as a possible witch. And it said that some of her practices on site opened some type of portals. And across the property, many have spotted full-body apparitions, and some of these entities appear not to be human. And they think these all are tied in to Matilda, who may have used some type of black magic on the premises. So many of the businesses here have a problem staying staffed because of the paranormal activity. Oh, I'm sure. And the last thing, and I thought this was actually kind of odd, but several guests who have spent the night here, whether it be in one of the hotels or what have you, they have these strange dreams to where they feel like a spirit is trying to communicate with them. So it's like several that have like the same type of, hey, I'm having this dream that a spirit's trying to communicate with me. And so a lot of people just have that that exact dream. And that's kind of odd that, that so many people would have a very similar yeah. dream. Yeah. So anyways, that's the story of rugby. Man, I think we need to go. I think we do too. That sounds amazing. The whole time I was researching that, I was like, man, that's so much closer than, mm-hmm. you know, when we go to Gatlinburg and stuff, it's probably not that far. So. Right. Well, I'm just so happy that they're leaving the town the way it used to be and 
they didn't make any changes with that. All right, guys, we're going to take a really quick break from our sponsor. We got this awesome, awesome segment coming up with Paranormal Frequency. You're going to love these guys. And then uh, we're going to tell you real quick about our uh, Patreons and stuff real quick. Tracy, we had all of our live shows wrapped up for the year. The only thing we got left to, to cover is November 20th and 21st. We will be at CryptidCon in Lexington. Uh-huh. Come by and see us. It's going to be uh, at the Clarion Hotel lot of celebrities be there it'll be a blast come see us yeah we had a blast last time we were there for sure what do you got going on over there all right our itunes this week we have mojo lobster kimberly cat dub three one one three four five scott aka cam and dad and a n u satan i'm not sure what that's supposed to say but thank you guys that that sounds like a n u s anus aiton Anus <laughs> I don't think that's what it's supposed to be. Guys, if you if you leave us a review, we appreciate it so much. Oh my gosh. But yes. if you want your name mentioned, just tell us, you know, it's Larry or Mo or Curly or whatever to do is. Because I will. Yeah, she's going to butcher up. this. And I half of these am. are just, a lot of people just make up an Apple ID. It's a bunch of numbers and stuff. Yeah. This will make it a lot better. But you guys left some awesome reviews. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate you. Uh, our Patreons this week is Tracy, Annette O'Connor, and Bonnie Baird. Bonnie, I hope I pronounced that right, honey. Thank you guys for your patronage. We appreciate that. We appreciate that you all take the time out to do this for us every week. Awesome. All right, let's listen to this uh, segment. I'm telling you, you guys are going to love Draven and Rodney. Hey, guys, I'm excited to actually have these guests because they are in the studio, which is actually... Other than uh, Kristen and Tracy, the only people we've had in studio in probably three or four years. So I've got cool. Rod Mack and I got Draven from Paranormal Frequencies. Is it frequency or frequency? Frequency singular. Yeah. Okay. Frequency with a Y. Yeah. Fine. So, anyways, <laughs> I, I've had the pleasure to meet Draven tonight, and it's the first time we've met uh, in person. But I met Rod a, a few times. We go back a little bit further. A lot of a lot of uh, friends and stuff in common. So we've crossed paths a lot, but never met until a couple of years ago at Crypticon. Yeah. Yep. 2019, I think, was the first time we actually talked to each other in person, but talked to each other on social media many times. Right. And, Rod, I had you on the show before. You was talking Bigfoot, and uh, that's right. was kind of your thing back then. You've always been, had the paranormal thing going, too. But back then, I had you on for your Bigfoot prowess, we'll say. And I remember you were breaking down what an area, what a perfect area for Bigfoot would be. So, like, because I was asking you back then how do you know where to just go look for a bigfoot at yeah and you were saying there's certain things that you actually look for when all those things are in common that's yeah. like a prime prime ground why don't you rehash that real quick for me on sure. what you know what am i looking for if i want to go out to some woods if i want to find the prime spot for a bigfoot what am i looking for you want a thick forest, usually old growth forest are the best you know big thick woods if you look out your window and you can't see past the first 10 feet that's kind of ideal, but you're also looking for a water source uh, and possibly some underground cave type atmosphere. Uh, I, be- I believe the caves are, are very, uh, very connected to these things. Um, and not only that, a place that's kind of desolate, but they're almost attracted to people, but they want to stay on the fringe. So um, it, it is possible to have big Bigfoot activity in even in urban areas, as long as they have a big, thick place to hide. But they seem to come to you. You really don't have to go after them. 
most of my reports, these people are just sitting in their house and these things are coming to them. Uh, you, you seem to find less when I go in there and try to actually chase them. So, uh, basically if you're in the forest and, um, and you feel that there's something watching you, there probably is. That's what I've kind of figured out. But yeah, that's basically what I'm looking for is old growth forest, some water. Uh, they also like, you know, uh, sometimes like natural gas pipeline breaks and power line breaks. Those seem, seem to be paths for them to travel and, and railroad tracks too. Uh, now you were on an episode of, is it These Woods Are Haunted? Am I correct? Yeah, originally it was called Terror in the Woods when it was on Destination America, but there was some legal issues with a film that had that name. So when they moved it to Travel Channel, they changed the name to These Woods Are Haunted. Tell uh, me uh, real quick about the episode you were on as far as what did you talk about on there? What encounter did you talk about? Basically, um, myself in the Red River Gorge in 2004, um, I had met up with a couple guys. I was staying there all weekend, didn't want to be by myself because that place gets really creepy at night, um, especially when you get deep in it. So I had, at the time, there wasn't much social media in 2004. I was on a backpacking, hiking forum, and two guys said, hey, we're coming through on the shelter we trace, which goes right through where I was at. So they met up with me at Wildcat Trailhead. We hiked down all the way to the bottom to Swift Camp Creek. I went up about a mile and crossed over into what's the Clifty Wilderness, which is very untouched, not abused by all the Red River Gorge weekend warriors. <laughs> and where we went, was pristine, but uh, something else really liked that spot as much as we did. So, I mean, as soon as the sun went down, things started coming out of the woods at us. It wasn't even dark yet, and uh, objects were being thrown at us. When that didn't work, they progressed to the vocalizations, and it got a little bit more progressive over the night, and eventually came to where something bluff charged down the hill at us. I couldn't even see it because the, the, it was so dense. But it was big. It sounded like a bull just running down the hill. And uh, at one point, it threw an object. I threw it back. That didn't make it very happy. It vocalized very loudly. <laughs> and when it did, something answered from across the creek. So I knew there was more than one. And I still don't know which one I saw. But after everything kind of died down and I thought maybe they had went off, I went to bed kind of one eye sleeping. Didn't really sleep. And I heard something messing with my cookware. And basically... It was making eggs. I jumped out of the tent and hit it. I thought it was a raccoon, and whatever it was was large and bent over, and when I hit it with the flashlight, it stood up, and I realized how big it was, and it looked right at my flashlight. I looked right in the face, and it threw my pants down and ran up the hill and screamed for about another half an hour, 45 minutes, and I could hear it progressively going further away, and uh, I could hear it for the rest of the night, but it, it stayed a little further away. didn't like that bright light. But uh, it was definitely life-changing, for sure. It sounds scary. Oh, yeah. It, uh, I was supposed to be in that site for two nights. The second night, I slept in the back of my truck <laughs> in the parking lot. I understand. <laughs> now that you mention that, there seems to be a pattern with that, if you think about it. Birds and animals naturally guard their nest. You could have been in a Bigfoot nest. I was in a it. something, yeah. So Draven, he just told us his encounter. And I know this might not be as in-depth as what he had. But you just showed me some video taken and, and of a very freaky kind of experience that you guys just recently had. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it took place in Jefferson County in Louisville, Kentucky. It was um, Jefferson County Forest, which we was in maybe about a mile and a half into the 27 acres that was present on this man's property. Um, well, 
Rodney Adams was down at the base camp, just laying low, and was using his full spectrum camera, and he started hearing whoops and sounds. So he was staying down there and recording things. And uh, me and my friend Adam and my colo, uh, well, my fellow um, investigator, I guess you want to say, we went up the hill, maybe, like I said, maybe about a mile, mile and a half up there, and we was in radio contact the whole time with Rodney and Scotty down at the base camp. And we had heard some sounds, and I started getting this eerie feeling. Now, being a medium, I have been to several places where I immediately feel the threat. It's it's almost like when I was a police officer, and uh, you have a gun put in your face. Like the fight or flight response. Right. You cannot. You can't fake that fear. You have to be in that situation to experience that. And I experienced that. Um, and I took a photo, and then when we looked at the photo, you could see these two red glowing eyes. Uh, staring back at me and that kind of freaked me out but what bothered me more is that when i was going around with my body cam and we're just exploring the woods we uh were just standing still maybe for about five minutes and i heard a sound so i radioed scotty and said hey can you throw some more wood on the fire to see if it would echo because we was kind of like in an acoustic chamber in a valley so i wanted to debunk anything if possible well the sounds were not coming from the same direction as the fire was down the valley and as scotty was right on us the second time you could hear something in the background like a like a like a heavy breathing like a huff sound or something and like this i can't describe it it's like a like a growl like, like a low like a low growl or something yeah it, and definitely, then, it definitely sounds like a growl yeah we played so it for you while ago. and then um <laughs> we heard heavy footsteps but the thing that I remember, and even Adam mentioned this, was that the footsteps were so far apart. Like, usually when people walk, it's like, there's time. It had a large stride. Even if a person's <laughs> tall, you still kind of familiarize with the time frame of someone walking from step to step. Well, this was like someone was stepping over mines, like stretched out. Like <laughs> like if they had OCD and they right. were trying to avoid cracks in the road or something. Yep. <laughs> it, was, it was bizarre. And uh, once I heard that growl, because the the Jefferson County Police had reported seeing a large black cat up in those woods, and, two times. Uh, yeah, there's two two large black felines reported there. Yeah, that's correct. And um, so my first initial thought was, "Holy crap, this is a giant panther or something." So I started running my ass off, and as you can see clearly in the video, uh, we were running pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and. Um, We've also experienced a few other things on some investigations. We investigated a house in New Albany, Indiana, just about a month ago. That's a good friend of mine, yeah. Yeah, and we, uh, her woods is connected to New Albany Cemetery, and there was yeah. a lot of activity there, almost too much. And um, Yeah, those woods are really creepy. It's at Silver Creek area, and oh. actually on the other side of that patch of woods from where she's at is was actually uh, the old famous... Uh, New Albany police officer that killed his family was on the other side. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, Talk David Cameron. Yes, mm-hmm. and he was so his his incident was you know maybe what a mile from there across those woods. And I don't want to cut your story off, You're but fine. while we're on this subject, little known fact of all these little synchronicities between us. Yeah, Charles Bonet. Yes, actually worked for me. Oh wow, for That's a while, awesome. and I and I had the news actually come in and record because. When he got arrested for for the uh, for the crime, the, I didn't know he got arrested. 
And he had not been working for me for a while because he got arrested for domestic violence before that. Yeah. So he had lost his job because of that. But the day after he got arrested, I had the news just show up. I guess they found out he used to work there. Like, hey. Just, you know, hey, what do you, what do you know about this? And what do you think about this? And what kind of person was he? And so, wow. you know, this is a guy <laughs> that was charged now with killing a, a mom and two, two young children. And it's just weird to even think about it. And, you know, and he had a criminal justice degree. And Did you t- feel that Charles, that he had that potential? No, or? I didn't. I didn't. Actually, to be honest with you, I really like Charles, and I fought to get him that job. Charles, yeah. these, there's these people. I still don't feel that he did that in my, in my soul. There's people who, who will, like, come door-to-door selling products, just, you know, hey, I got a bag full of stuff. And that's what he did, and he was great at what he did. And I tried to get him, get him hired on to be my salesperson. And he never would do it. And eventually he did. But he was literally a model employee. And he didn't fit the profile, did he? No, not See, not and, at all. and that's what I heard from many, many really people. Really big guy, soft spoken. Uh, yeah. But very polite. Didn't have that killer instinct. No. And then come to find out, a young lady that was a real good friend of mine, I didn't know this until later, she actually dated him for a while. So oh, wow. all these connections, yeah. they were around, but they were at different times. I've, I've talked to a lot of people that knew him personally, and, and none of them believe this story. So. And for those of you listening who aren't familiar with the story, because I know a lot of you are literally around the world, look up the David Cam, C-A-M-M case in yes. uh, Indiana. He was a former Indiana State Trooper. Uh, it's It's been all over he, all yeah, the big he shows. Was, he was charged with killing uh, his wife and kids and went to jail. And then there were several appeals and got out and went back to jail. And then eventually they arrested uh, Charles Bonet. And, you know, there was a lot of talk on whether they were in cahoots together, whether they were both involved, uh, you know, and I would I would say that's more likely than just Charles doing it by itself. I've, I've Absolutely. Always, I've yeah. always felt that David Cam was guilty one way, shape or form. Right. In that place. But look the case up. It's on all the datelines and all that I've all done. That's very interesting. I had no idea you had that connection. But, yeah, I know several people that knew him Um very well, and, and the, the, you know, like you said, they they just can't see it. So, but so back to you, driving. So, where, you were at the this lady's house, and then you got the woods, and I cut you off. Sorry. Oh, you're fine, completely fine. Um, that's what we're here to tell our stories. Well, you know, me and Rodney were out there in the woods doing an investigation, and um, all of a sudden, we seen like this 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 orb. We had a laser grid set up. The, the, the yard's kind of hard to describe. It, it goes back. Onto the property, and there's this gate on the right side. It's about an acre, I guess, yeah. Yeah, and it just cuts off into the woods. And the just, woods right backed up to it. And uh, the woods goes for maybe two miles just straight to the graveyard of New Albany, Indiana. And um, then all the way down to Silver Creek on the other side. Yeah, actually it does. That's I forgot about that. Um, well, we had this laser grid set up right there where we thought we heard some noises. And uh, we have, like, this giant orb just... Flying through the screen on camera. Yeah, it's on our Facebook page. Yeah, through yeah, the laser grid, and then it just vanishes. And Jay Bradley with Creepy Encounters. I'm Good sure, friend of mine, yeah. I know, I know you know him. He um, analyzed it knowing that he worked with He's an entomologist. For over 20 years. And uh, he does not believe that it was an insect or any type of digital anomaly. So apparently we got something pretty legit. And... Um, my backyard, I have about two acres of forest, which is extremely haunted. We have several EVP sessions, spirit box sessions, and some photos that we just cannot explain. Apparently, I have a female that stalks me everywhere I go. Um, but how I really got into the paranormal, I was about 
I've always seen ghosts and hear ghosts my whole life, but it was just a normal thing for me. I never really thought anything of it. I didn't really care or I just ignored it and just dealt with it. And how how old are you, Draven? I'm 39. Okay. And uh, this has been going on since I was maybe in second grade. I remember we lived on a street called LaSalle off of Louisville across from uh, St. Mary Elizabeth Hospital. Yeah, no, exactly. We're listening. Yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I've, I've grown up always being very sick, so we always lived close to a hospital. And, um, well, I was about maybe 15, 16 years old, and me and my parents, we lived out in Oklahoma area, close to McNeely Lake. Well, my mom was washing dishes one week, uh, and uh, she said, hey, Draven, come here. And we looked out the window, and we seen this giant sphere glowing over the woods, maybe a half, I don't know, maybe 700 feet across the way through this field. There was this church, and there was just nothing but woods behind it. And we just started watching it, and we went outside, and the, the thing was is that the night has sounds about it. It always has, like, crickets, the wind, and it was dead silent. There was nothing. Even the dogs didn't bark. You couldn't hear nothing. Almost like being in a cave. It's the same thing I discovered with Bigfoot around. So yeah, something weird. was around. It's weird. And uh, there was, like, this smell of burnt motor oil and ammonia in there. And, like, and like ionized, like, oh, like the, you know, like when you smell how voltage. Like ozone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And the hairs on my arms were standing up. But you could feel pressure on your body. Like if you was under 20 feet of water, you could feel the pressure on your body. And uh, there was this big flash of light. And then all of a sudden, it was in this field. Of course, I run outside. My mother's screaming, telling me to come back. And uh, I run over there. And I promise on my children and everything in this world that I've seen what I believe to be an extraterrestrial walk around and stare at me and then just disappear. And the thing about it was it glowed like the color of the moon. But when he moved and he walked, it was if, if he was on the moon moving in slow motion. It was very bizarre. And I went back there the next day and the grass was burnt. And I recently went over there, uh, not even a week ago, hanging out with my friend Adam. And uh, the grass still does not grow in that spot. Interesting. And, and that's kind of what pushed me into that direction the paranormal because in the end seeing is believing i'm still very scientific but i think after that i started experimenting i started building telsa coils vanigraph generators marks generators all that stuff and i started getting the alternate science with free energy zero point energy and um which is coming for everybody soon yeah which is going to be great and um I don't know. It just changed my whole life, my perspective on everything. But because of everything that I've studied and learned over the years, hooking up with Rodney and recent experiences in my life that I can't ignore, um, I've just felt that this is my mission. This is my passion to help as many people as I can and hopefully open other people's eyes to the paranormal because it's real. It's it's very real. And uh, some of it's very scary. And I think some of these investigators out there do not help people the way that people need to be helped. And they do it for personal gain or entertainment reasons. Sometimes they just want a yes or a no. Like, oh, is something there? Yep, something's there. And that's pretty much the end of it. But our goal is to get, you know, if they want it gone, figure out why it's there. Get rid of it, you know. We also want to do something else that no one else has done in the entire world that we know of when it comes to paranormal investigating is that we want to do investigations with Bigfoot and investigations with ghosts, the way that you would do them together. No one's done that before. We yeah. believe that there's a connection between spirits and Bigfoot. We truly believe this. We've seen evidence yeah. and we've seen just too many stories 
and the it just all fits. It's cohesive. There's something about Bigfoot and spirits that are connected. And for many, many years, I tried to be on the flesh and blood side of things and look at it strictly from a flesh and blood creature. But when you start to really look at the facts and look at the facts that, that nobody has ever found a body, you start to realize there's something more going on here. Even even the creatures that we never see, they find bodies eventually. These things are never found. Um, I've even had reports of people that told me they know they shot one. We'll follow a blood trail up through the woods, and it just disappears. All right, no. So l- let me expand on that a little bit. Now, first of all, I, I just noticed you have a, a missing 411 oh, yeah. hat on. Do you think that ties in anything? I do with with Bigfoot. Do you think the whole missing yes. four one one thing? All right, so we're going to get David, me and David Pilates had a, lot, a long discussion about it. So and, we're, we're going to get back to that. I've tried okay. to have David on the show, and I thought I had him at one point, but I, for some reason, I've been snagging. But we're going to get back to that. But on the flesh and blood thing, Bigfoot. You know, I had a discussion with Steve Coles, and uh, at Scarefest, and I and I had him on the show, and I reminded him how he pretty much blew up at me when when I said asked him was it a possibility that Bigfoot could be aliens, beam down, beam back, and, and he you would you yeah. would have thought I slapped his dog and his mom and oh, sister yeah. and everybody else at the way, and but you know he is one hundred percent set that couldn't possibly be, but he yeah. makes a good point on on why there haven't been bodies found. If most of these times these creatures are in very dense woods, let's take what just happened with the uh, the Brian Laurie. Is that his name? Brian Laundry. Laundry. Let's take what happened with Brian Laundry. He's been gone a month. No telling us when he actually died, but all they found was very little. Mm-hmm. Why? Because when you're in the woods, there are so many different animals that could take stuff and move stuff and what have you. Is it not possible that being in in dense woods, sometimes in places that people may not even come across, except very rarely, that if a body did collapse and, and die, Bigfoot, you know, how how long would it actually be there before it got carried off to a thousand different places by other animals or what have you? How many times have somebody maybe walked by a Bigfoot bone, maybe a finger or something, and just thought it was any kind of bone and never even... So who's to say that people haven't stumbled across it and mistook it for a deer carcass or right. something else? But who's to say that this these we don't find them because most people aren't trouncing around where they would be? And you only got a limited time once they die to be able to come across it before other animals and stuff have carried it off and ate it. That's always been my theory on why nobody finds them. And I used to defend that as well. And then I started to think about the fact that, you know, nobody's even ever found a skull. And Yeah, that would be the harder thing. Just to and not- those are really hard to hide. Something but- always reveals itself. Doesn't matter how old it is. It always comes back up from the surface. Um, it's true. Being an officer... You could find bones that were 30 years old, but eventually they do reveal themselves. They've never, you can't find anything. Um, now, I know, I do know that they have found hairs before that they cannot explain uh, where the yeah, DNA. I've, I've sent some of those out. Yeah. But um, for sure. I just think that there's a connection between Bigfoot and, and UFOs. Now, do I, can I say that it's alien? No, I can't. I, I have to see it to believe it. For all I know, they could be interdimensional <laughs> beings. They could be from the future. They could be from the past. I don't know. All I do know is that there is a correlation and there's a connection between UFO sightings and Bigfoot. And um, 
there's something there that no one is questioning. It's um okay. There's a spiritual realm to these things, whether or not they can, can become physical. I was talking to There's Johnny Elkenny one night. And yeah. He has done a lot of research on people who have had Bigfoot encounters. And he had pointed out that they don't initially bring it up. But if you if you ask them, a lot of times big people who have had Bigfoot encounters will remember hearing like a sonic boom or a bright light somewhere in the distance before the encounter. Have you yeah. heard similar? <laughs> yes. And I've seen bright lights in the forest in areas where I know that there's been Bigfoot activity, uh, not to mention the fact that my ex-partner and I stumbled across on an area where we had numerous Bigfoot activity re- reports. We also had cattle mutilation, uh, which I, I, I can't shake that from my mind. And, you know, the balls of light that we've seen in there, the cattle mutilations, uh, sounds that were happening almost an arm's throw for me. And there's no obvious physical sign of this creature, but I know it's right there. I can hear it. And uh, I've caught some strange things on uh, video that's very similar to one of David Pilate's videos. At the end of his Missing 411, The Hunted, he shows this case that doesn't quite fit. There's a video of mine on YouTube with Thomas Shea when we were together um, of the creature that's standing right next to me. Uh it, it, the video is called the anomaly, uh, anomaly cop captured in the woods. But basically, there is an outline of a figure next to me. It looks like the predator. It's invisible, but yeah. you can physically see it move. It's and crazy. at the end of you see something else happen down the hill, so, and they're very paranormal. Yeah, I can't remember. There's a term for that for that clear uh, creature. I'm yeah. drawing a blank as to what it is, but I know um, they they try to call it a a cloaking. Yeah, I, I know. It's almost like an electromagnetic field is around it. It's uh, the ability to bend light. Derek, That's Derek what I think, Hayes yeah. from Monsters Among Us, he does a lot of talking and a lot of stories about that type of, of entity. Sure. And, you know, so there's a lot of things that we just don't We don't. Know about. I mean, we've got fish that have the ability to generate electricity and, right. and fluorescent light. We just, we don't know. We don't know enough, but I, I can tell you, I wouldn't consider myself an expert, but I'm a guy who's looked at the subject a lot. And the more I look at it from a physical state, the more I can look at the paranormal side of it and see just as many implications that it's here. It's connected. I think they have the ability to go into both realms. I really do. Draven, I want to get into your past in a minute. But before that, I want to talk to Rodney. We mentioned the the missing 411. How do you think Bigfoot any other type of cryptids and and people missing in the national parks. How do you think all that come into play? Or do you think it's a combination of a bunch of different things? I do. I think there's a lot of things at play here. I think we've got portals are real. Um, You know, Einstein and many physicists have proved that, that time travel and, and portal bending and dimensions are more than we know. I believe these creatures are possibly taking advantage of those things that we don't understand and are able to jump in and out of, of a, a, a dimension that's right next to us, you know, and, and uh, we only see things in 3d. Uh, when you get to a level where I'm at, I'd see myself more in the 5d level of thinking. Cause I really feel a, a realm around me that doesn't, that no one can see. <clears throat> and when you get into deep physics, you understand that there's more than that. 
Right. And I'm pretty sure these creatures are somehow interpolating that realm to their advantage, uh, able to manipulate it. And the missing 411 stuff, when I start to really watch that, it, it blows my mind. But it's almost as if interdimensional beings are able to grab people and pull them through portals right out of thin air. I mean, when you're looking at people, especially the one case where there's seven different guys hunting in the woods and the dad just up and disappears. Yeah, it makes no sense. It, none at all. It, there has to be a dimensional portal type thing here for this to even make sense to me. And I can't prove it, but my gut tells me there's something more going on there that in that area. Uh, we just don't have the knowledge or technology to prove it at this point, but that's what I feel. Hi, Draven. So, first of all, thank you for your service for the time that you are an officer. How long were you an officer? Well, I was in the military for almost four years, and then I was an officer off and on for two years. And then I finally retired because I got stabbed in the leg with an ice pick doing a drug bust off of Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. And I'd almost shot the person when it turned out it was just a 14-year-old kid. So uh, after that, um, I retired. I can understand that. I like how you call it Louisville. Yeah. You may yeah. be the only person I you know. You from Ohio? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody from Ohio calls it that because there's a Louisville, Ohio. Yeah. I've just traveled a lot of places, and I'm used to the proper terminology. Uh, it's Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we call it Louisville, but it's called I, Louisville. I call it Louisville. And Louisville. Everybody gets on me that I say Louisville. So yeah. You must not be from there. Now, I'm born and raised. But Yeah, me too. I find you, and I didn't know any of this stuff till tonight, but I find you completely fascinating. Well, thank you. Because you literally are somebody that, in a little bit of time I've known you and know what you've accomplished, when you put your mind to something, you just do it. Yes, that sir. says a ton about somebody. Well, I believe that anything is possible um, as long as you put your mind to it and you do not listen to negativity and you don't let anybody talk you down and you believe in yourself full-heartedly. You can do anything. And I did that when I did the walk of pain. Uh, it's considered impossible by physics and by medical field, but yet I did it. So before we – let's we're going to get into walk of pain. I wanted to go back a little bit. Tell me what you said was uh, about BMX. Tell me, tell me about your teenage years and what you did. Well, um, I just basically rode bikes with my friends in, in the neighborhood, just growing up, having fun. And uh, our parents were working all the time. So all we had was each other. And uh, we would just ride our bikes and hang out, BMX. And it was just my passion. I just loved it. it I guess it was the thrill of escaping from everything. And, um, I just, I just kept at it and kept at it. And I finally got to be sponsored by, uh, metal bikes for a while. But Jimmy Levan, I got to give props out to him. He's a great guy, uh, founder of metal bikes. And then I rode for Harrow for a little bit and I got to meet Dave Mira, which, uh, I still miss him to this day. I hope he's in heaven. Um, but that was a big part of my life. But then I was at a B3 competition and, uh, I was trying to do a triple backflip on a vert ramp. And at the time, that hadn't been done yet. Dave had done the double backflip, and I, I was, I guess, I was very young and under pressure uh, because of the name that was behind me. Well, basically, the logo that was on my shirt was a pressure enough, um, and I didn't make it. Over rotated. I hit my head on the coping, which is the metal rail that you grind on or you pause on, and um, I slid down the ramp. And they said the bike landed on my back, and I woke up in the hospital, and it had been like two weeks. And uh, I had actually died twice and was in a coma. 
And uh, that changed my whole life perspective on everything. I didn't take anything for granted anymore. Um, I realized life is very short. So I, I just uh, I had a new mindset facing the world. And uh, I wanted all these things that I wanted to do. And I just wanted, I didn't want to do them for attention. I got a lot of attention from them, but that wasn't really the purpose of it. It was just a, a personal test for me to see if I could do it. It's, it's, it's almost like an experiment with myself and life in general to see what am I capable of doing once I've achieved this goal. Okay. Let's move on to something else. So my memories and my experiences are kind of like Boy Scout patches to me, I guess. I earned them and now I'm moving on to the next thing. That's a good point. So after the BMX accident, you're at home. You're deciding on the next thing you want to do. And lo and behold, I became an illusionist and escape artist. And I promised my mother I wouldn't do anything dangerous again. But yet somehow I still continue to do very dangerous things. And who did you see that motivated you to try that? Um, what, just become a magician in general? Yes. Well, to be honest, my father and me grew up watching magic shows. And I loved David Copperfield. I mean, who didn't? And I loved Harry Houdini. Um, but I guess at the time, like I said, it was David Blaine and Chris Angel that was on TV that really captivated me and wanted me to... Because you know, for a while there, it's like with anything. You get into something, and then it kind of gets boring. And then all of a sudden, somebody else comes back out with it, and it gains your interest again. Well, I guess that's what happened. Chris Angel came out and he changed magic and made it more interesting, I guess, to people like me because I was captivated. And uh, I just fell in love with it. And I just I devoted every living, breathing moment of my life to magic to the point where I met Chris Angel and got to hang out with him. And it was a life-changing experience for me. But, you know, when I look in the mirror at the end of the day, I just realized, you know, Draven... You've done a lot of stuff, and uh, there's a lot of stuff you can still do. So um, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to keep pushing myself to do as much as I can. And this gift that I've been given, I believe that it's the right time in my life, and it's the right time in the world for people to accept it, that uh, I'm setting myself out on a mission to help people. And I'm very fortunate and lucky to meet Rodney Adams to team up with me and we've created Paranormal Frequency and together we're going to hopefully change the world and help as many people as possible. Now, let's go back to the the walk of pain. Okay. You told me that you're the only person that can do one certain thing that you do. Tell me about that. That is correct. As far as I know, on record, there is no one else that has ever done this or attempted this. And basically what it is, is um, several people can walk across glass, jump on it. Um, I would even lay on it and have people stand on me while I was having no shirt on. But um, it's maybe seven to eight different 12-inch roofer spike nails. And what I would do is take either a watermelon or a melon and just lay it on top of it and just let go and just it would fall through to show you that it's very sharp. Well, I've studied martial arts my whole life. I'm actually a Wing Chun Sifu martial artist, and I practice meditation and Buddhism every day of my life. And I've learned how to spiritually enlighten myself and open up my mind. And through this, I was able to mentally block the pain and show people that anything is possible. And I performed this walk of pain by walking across these 12-inch roofer spike nails one at a time, spaced apart individually. And uh, I'm the only person in the world that ever did that. And uh, the funny thing is, is people were so excited to see me do this. But after I would do this, they, they were scared of me. They didn't want to talk to me. They were like, they were like, hey man, I love your show. He's a witch. Yeah, pretty He's much. He's a witch. Basically, that's what it felt like. I felt Burn like him. I just risked my life and my feet are killing me. 
and I have nothing to show for it. They're all gone. There was dust in the audience. Okay, so I got to ask you, because I know everybody's thinking the exact same thing that's listening to this, because I've always wondered the same thing. Like you said, you put the watermelon on, it goes straight through. Mm-hmm. What keeps your weight from making those nails come straight through your feet? That's I mean, what you could- is unexplained about it in the first place. To be honest, I truly don't know. I just know that I'm able to do it. I think that if you focus and you let your mind be completely free and you do not listen to any doubt or disbeliefs that you've been pre-programmed in your life, that you can do anything. And I think that's what I was able to achieve. Now, through meditation and martial arts, I have been able to lower my heart rate and decrease the weight of my body about 10%. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I really can't answer that because I don't know. I just know that I was able to do it. Now, by conditioning my feet, I used to run barefooted on concrete, things like that, to be able to walk on the glass and things like that. But um, as far as this is concerned... It's still unexplained to me as well. I, I get the walking on glass and stuff like that. And, and I can get how the meditation and stuff can make you not feel the pain, even though the pain may be there. So that it's I, definitely there. That I can always understand. But to not to somehow not allow your body to have a nail penetrate with the weight coming down on it, it just seems it doesn't seem physically possible. That's correct. Because, I mean, even if you had shoes on, it seems like with your weight, they would probably at least get through to your foot. So to be barefoot, it just, I don't know. It's just The it's, crazy thing about that is there was one show I did, and uh, I had cut my foot open, but it was on the glass. It was never on the nails. Now, my feet would be extremely bruised, and sometimes I may have like a tiny hole in my foot, but it was never anything that uh, needed stitches Cutting a shot. Yeah. I mean, it felt like I had plenty of fetish. I can't even step on a Fruit Loop. Uh, Lego people. Lego. uh, A lot of people don't know this. And on our Paranormal Frequency page, I posted this and told the world about it. It upset me, even wanting to talk about it. It still does. But when I was little, I suffered from stigmata a little bit. Never in my hands, but I had it in my feet. And uh, they couldn't explain it. My father is a very religious person, and he's a psychic. He was—he always knows if you're going to have a boy or girl and when you're going to die. And it's just something he's never been wrong about. Um, I come from a Mohawk Indian tribe, from the Wolf tribe. I'm 43% Mohawk Indian. Um, I don't know if I'm spiritually connected somehow with that, but I love Mother Nature. But, uh, I mean, your guess is as good as mine, Jerry. I really don't know. I just know that I did it. And, uh, it's like Bruce Lee said, you want to be water, you want to think like water, you have to become water. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's just, almost like you elevate your mind to levitate you from it. And like I said, I, and I said this earlier, and it's completely a, a compliment, but, you know, I said, I said, like, you're, you're a real life force gump. And I just mean that in the standpoint Life's of life's like a box <laughs> of chocolate. But I mean, at 39, I got I mean, shot let's, in the let's, buttocks. Let's think about this. At 39 years old, You've been a police officer, you've been in the military, you've been a sponsored BMX bike rider. That's correct. You have been, you decided that I want to get, being an illusionist and took it to the highest level to where you were performing in Vegas and got to meet Chris Angel. Chris Angel. And, and Lance Burton, which is a really nice guy. Who's from Louisville. Yes, he, he is. is. And then you turn around and decide, you know what, I want to get into... You know, you're a 
But what degree martial artist? Uh, well, in Chinese culture, we really don't have like a degree. But I guess if you was to label it, it would be like third degree black belt. Of course, it but we would. don't I, have I we don't have knew, belts in Wing Chun. I already knew it was going to be top level because everything you do is top level. And then so then you then you start doing the nails thing that nobody else has done. I mean, you can see why I would say you're like a real life force gun because. I, when you watch Forrest Gump and he accomplishes all these things, it's just like effortlessly. Yeah. yeah I just decide I'm going to do it, so I'm going to do it. And well, you, anybody, you start anybody running. is capable of that, but nobody Jenna. allows themselves to reach that point because people don't believe in themselves enough anymore. You have to have complete faith in yourself to be able to do something. You have to, you know, people will say, hey, Draven, you can't do that. And then enough people would go, okay, well, I guess I can't. Well, I don't listen to that. I listen to myself and what I believe. And what I believe, I think maybe I manifest it to happen. Um, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a firm believer in manifesting your destiny because yeah, I've done it several same, times. Yeah. And, and you have. You're like, hey, I'm going to do this podcast thing and I'm going to make it my life. You know, it's, and you it, did it. I, I, not to the level that you've done things because you've done things at the elite level. But, but you mean, did it where you said it at, though. But, uh, yeah, I, I have spent my entire life with people telling me, well, you can't be a professional comedian unless you do it yeah. this way. Right. And I did it my own way and, and got to where I wanted to be, you know, for the most part, doing comedy. When we sure. started the podcast, people said, well, you're not going to make a living at it. Well, we make we make a living at it. You know, when I was yeah. in sales. People, and you travel all over the place. But, yeah. I mean, but, you know. Yeah, I told people earlier, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a rapper from J-Town. They, they laughed at me. And then in 1994, I got signed to a record deal out of Chicago. I did it. Um, you know, it didn't last long. It didn't pan out the way I wanted it to. But I still did what I intended to do. That's all that matters. And, and yeah, it, you set your mind to it. You can become or do just about anything. And that's, I guess, part of the reason why we're so um, connected. Uh, not only are we both Native American descent, uh, we both have a very spiritual element. We both died and came back, which I think is a huge, a huge thing to why I'm a conduit for things. And so is he. Well, that's what John E.L. Tenney said, because he and Chad Lindbergh were together. On uh, on the show they did, I think it was called Ghost Chasers. I can't remember. Yeah, I'm just drawing Ghost a blank. Chasers. Yeah, I'm just drawing a blank. But the, he said that their connection and the reason they were teamed up is because they had both had near death experience. Oh yeah, it, that's it, very it's, important. It definitely is. It changed everything for me. I mean, I had had experiences before that, but after that, it's like it it was tenfold. Um, after that's when the Bigfoot full blown encounter. I mean, I had had experiences with Bigfoot growing up as an Eagle Scout and Boy Scout all my life but i didn't never see it fully like that and i didn't know what i was dealing with but after death and coming back it was like it just flipped a switch so let's talk about paranormal frequency okay how many people are in your group there is three of us and There's we have two that come and go, but they're very busy doing other things. Yeah, there's, there's what, four total, I guess, or five? Five. Five total, but a lot of them, you know, they have, they can't commit full-time, and it. So we're the main core of it. We're the ones that founded it, and, and they help when they can. And you guys are, I know as we've set, set here, you guys have opened yourself up to people who need help, want help. That's correct. That, that are within the area obviously yeah uh and you guys are out of the louisville we'll say for lack of better for the louisville area we also we also do travel uh november 12th we're going to be in columbia tennessee yeah 
Okay. I may miss that one because that's about the close to the due date for my first grandbaby. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. Grandfather, guys. I'm G Paul. So what do you guys, what are you looking to accomplish? We'll start with you, Rodney, and we'll start with, we'll go back with you, Draven. What are you looking to accomplish with this, with this paranormal group? We wanted to tie in things that nobody's really focusing on. One of the main things that I was really connected with Draven with was the fact that the woods are very paranormal. Not only are they just, you know, cryptids and things like that that I've experienced, but during my pursuit of those things, I've captured balls of light, cattle mutilation, um, disembodied voices, and even apparitions. And the little meteors, they glow orange for some reason. Yeah. That we can't explain that either. Glowing orbs. Just things that don't make sense that I can't lump into a category of Bigfoot. But I also can't deny that these are the same places where I'm having those experiences. Why am I having these other experiences? Is there a connection that that's what we're going to focus on? How can we connect these things together? And, uh, There's things that we want to do, experiments that we want to do that no one else has done before. Have you ever heard of anybody doing an EVP session or electromagnetic field detection when it comes to Bigfoot? I want to take an EMF detector and stick it in a Bigfoot footprint. Is he actually an interdimensional being? All these reports are like with energy and bursts, like you said, sonic booms. Is there something behind that? Is there energy involved? Why don't you study that aspect of it? There's one thing that I do that no one else does. Um, I have a fluorescent light bulb. There's a known effect. It's called the Tesla effect. And a lot of college students and professors actually demonstrate this scientifically. And they'll take a fluorescent light bulb and they stick it underneath power lines. And you can see the light bulbs light up because the electromagnetic fields, they excite, yeah, they excite the gas and it puts an induction into the bulb and it flickers and it lights up. Hmm. Well... If there's an electromagnetic field present somewhere where there's a reported phenomenon going on, um, it should be able to light these fluorescent light bulbs up. And in some cases, it has happened before. And uh, we use metal detectors to make sure there's no wire and there's no metal present. We do EMF readings. And um, sometimes, you know, those things are digital. Digital devices have been known to fail. We have batteries that constantly are drained. You go to Waverly, yeah. you go to people's houses that are extremely hot. That's one thing I know. Even in the in the woods, the same thing happens. If, if something's super active, there's an electromagnetic aspect to it. It'll drain your batteries immediately. Every uh, time. Yeah. It's very frustrating. So we, we love batteries. We're like Mr. Battery. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. have plugs coming out of our asses. Like, it's ridiculous. So, uh, so I'm going and I'm dabbling in the aspect of, of solar cameras, you know, cameras with, with the solar charge and, and any way that I can keep them going because it, it, they, it just sucks the life right out of them. Guys, tell me how people can keep up with paranormal frequency and how they can get messages to you if they want you to kind of maybe check into. If you go like to that. Facebook, we're Paranormal Frequency. We're a group page. We are working on building an actual website, and we are currently in production on making our own show, which we are going to air on the network. And then we're also making a YouTube stream series. Uh, so we have a lot of big projects. We're probably going to put it on several platforms like YouTube and what Rumble. I'm, I'm going to duplicate it on several channels, BitChute. Because uh, we don't one? know which one's going to survive this whole war that's going on right now. There was yeah. one that contacted us. It was, uh, was it Peacock. Is that one? Peacock is NBC. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's one of them and as then, well. And uh, Chainsaw Productions. 
Yeah, Chainsaw is who, is who I was talking with. Uh, they're the guys that do Mountain Monsters. So, so we uh, got a lot of connections, and yeah. I was also going to publish a book. And that's originally how this started out, Jerry. I just wanted to write a book and do some research. And, um, you know, I watched the Zodiac Killer movies. I would watch Supernatural, different Ghost Hunter shows with my daughter. And, uh, you know, she loves that stuff. So I would watch it with her, something to do together. And uh, like I said earlier, I got back into it because it was interesting again. So I wanted to go out and do all this field research and write a book, put my two cents in there. I know a lot of stuff that most people don't. So I wanted to make that aware to people. Hopefully they can open them up as well. And uh, it turned into, hey, Draven, can you make a YouTube series and we'll sponsor that? Hey, Draven, uh, we're a network company. Can you make a show? Can you do the same thing you did with your magic and then film it and we'll put it on TV? So I was like, okay. I was kind of like walking around with my head cut off, not knowing what to do. But I made a commitment and me and Roddy now are on this mission to uh, help people as much as we can and document it. And hopefully through social media, We'll be able to reach as many people as we can, and hopefully that in turn will reach out to more people where they can contact us and we can help them also. And that's really what it's about. It's about helping as many people as possible, but in today's age, through social media is the fastest and easiest way to do it. It's been a pleasure having you guys out. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate it. We don't do this very often in studio, but as you can see, when you got – Two guys like you two with well, so it much looks energy. Awesome. Your studio's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> well, I love appreciate it. it. Very homie. Is, so so if you ever wonder, well, why did why did he decide to do this one? Well, when you hear this and you hear how awesome this went and, and what you two guys have put together and the experiences you had, this is what it takes to be able to be sitting here in front of us. Well, right. you yeah. are worth to drive because you're a very great guy. Yep. You did drive. Yep. You did you guys did drive over an hour yeah. to get here. So yeah, sir. Well, in my, in 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 making that not so bad as I work here just about every day, so I'm always around. And usually, I drive home a little earlier, but yeah, whatever. Well, I walk. You're worth sticking around for years barefooted to get here. <laughs> That's right. Well, I used to walk five inches through snow to go to catch the bus. It's been awesome having you, Draven. Thanks so much, uh, Rodney. Rodney Adams, uh, better known as Rod Mack. Yep. You did. Didn't you do some DJing too? At one point? I did, and uh, I'm also the lead singer of the band E Flat, which is amazing. We've been around forever. Uh, opened up for Kid Rock, just about everybody you can think of. Uh, yeah, so I'm kind of one of those guys that set my mind in certain ways and, and did as well. And I uh, started as a DJ when I was like 15. I emulated Grandmaster Flash and Jam Master Jay. Got ended up getting to meet Jam Master Jay, and I probably own one of the last autographs he ever signed. So, um, and the one of those where I manifested my own destiny. It's kind of cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, you can also find me on most social platforms. It's Hooligan Rod Mac. Um, I'm on go. Instagram that way, TikTok. You got some uh, E flat stuff on YouTube or something somewhere? Yeah, there's a little bit on YouTube. There's a bunch on SoundCloud, and I'm in the process of getting more on Spotify. But I'm on Spotify and Apple. Main problem is there's a band in India with the name E flat as well, and it likes to mix their music in with mine, which is not similar. I would, I would, but, <laughs> I would think they may be a tad bit different. It's a little different, but yeah, whatever floats your boat. Guys, thank you so much for coming in. We're going to post uh, your social media and stuff on our page so when you're listening to this just go to our group and our uh, facebook page you'll be able to see links to it and then we'll also it to be in the show notes so when you see this we'll, we'll put their facebook page link in the show notes so thank you guys so much and we'll talk to you soon thank, thank you, you jerry, jerry. 
All right, guys, that wraps it up for this week. Happy Halloween. I hope you enjoyed uh, that segment. Them guys are, are super cool and so much fun, and Freddie's knocking crap over. And <laughs> that's the truth. You guys, I hope you all have a great Halloween, and I hope you all have a blessed week. We love you all.